Hello, and welcome to Table Talk Friday, your weekly dose of D&D banter between three lads in a bedroom. If you like their style, make sure to follow them on whichever podcast service you prefer, and come back every Friday for another upload. Now, back to the boys. Yeah, but it was nice sleeping in that last night. I actually made the bed for the first time in, like, a year well, oh, since really? we moved in. Yeah? I mean, I think I might have made the bed, like, once two months ago. That's that's a good job. I think I'm just not. A, I'm not. A, I'm not a bed maker, dude. No, me. I'm, I only make my bed like twice a day, so you know, like minimal. You know, you could be the parents that make the bed every day. I am not. I. You know what I want? I want a wife who cares about that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so because I do, I, I do not care. Uh, if she's happy to wake up every morning to make the bed, then that is perfect for me. It's funny because when I was younger, it didn't bother me at all in the slightest. Uh, you know, just. It was all ramshackle. Well, I'm like six months younger than you, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just the seniority, man. Wait till you're as old as I am. <laughs> but I don't know. I look at the bed now. If it's not made, I feel dirty. Really? I feel like. Does that jerk. look dirty to you? I mean, it's not like dirty, but I mean, like it could be made. It could be nice. Imagine walking into your room. Everything's nice and clean. Who is that the for? Made. Who is that for? For me. It's now, for now, me. I have heard. From different sources, um, I think sometime in high school and sometime in college, someone was like, the way you, you, you make your bed to start your day off right, it sets the tone for the rest of your day, right? Okay. That's what I've heard people say. It's sort of like breakfast is the best meal of the day. It's like making your bed is sorting, setting yourself up for a successful day. Now, I've heard people say that, and I'm like, that's, that's so good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, who am I making my bed for? Me. So I, I'm only making my bed to come home and go, ah, good job, Seth. Your bed looks nice. Give us a little pat on the back. Yeah, I get to pat myself on the back a couple of times. I'm like, good job. I made the bed last week. Or like, yeah, I made the bed this morning before I went to work and came home. Um, And now I'm going to mess it up again and do it again tomorrow morning. I don't even think it's a bad thing. And also, also, since there's only like one of me in this room, like, all I got to do is pull up those covers, throw them over top of me and be like, I'm I'm done. But I'm schlep. But, (laughs) but you can put more work in. For no reason. And realistically, and I never, better. I never use that comforter. I could take that blanket, put it on top, and then sleep <coughs> on top of the comforter, and the bed's always made. But you don't sleep under a comforter. Well, I did last night, and guess what? I hated it. I got hot. I usually only use that one blanket, and I'll throw the comforter to the side. Do you use like, a, was it like a thinner blanket? No, it's a weighted blanket. That's a fifteen pound blanket right there that you're looking at. The top one or the one you use? The the gray one underneath. I was gonna call you a heathen, and I was gonna go on a rant about how you're this no awful the comforter. The comforter creature. is the thing on top. Okay, but I was okay. saying I could, you know, if I want to be that guy. I did. I did this when we lived at Summerstone a while back. Or Summerstone Eric. Um, Summerstone Eric, of course. course. Summerstone Eric. Um, when we used to live there, I um, would make the bed, mm-hmm. and I didn't have a weighted blanket at the time. Okay. And I would make the bed for like. And then leave it like that for like a month or two. Oh, and no I would sad. take my blanket no. that I would use and sleep on top. Because I don't get, like, my temperature doesn't change that much when I sleep. But because I sleep next to this window and stuff, sometimes it does. Like, in the winter, I get very cold because I sleep next to this window. Um, and, you know, you might think that that's unclean. I think it's just smart and efficient. It's not unclean, per se. And, and it goes back to the fact that I don't make my bed in the morning. It's not like I get up and, oh, let me make my bed. Then what's the point? It's, for me, it's, <laughs> I walk into the room and go, oh. That's messy. And I make it, and it takes me like 20 seconds. I'm like, wow, I did that. Short-term results. I feel good now. Yeah. You know? And then for the rest of the day, I feel like I accomplished something, even if I do absolutely nothing. I know what you mean, but the one to two minutes I would take making my bed Two minutes be... making a bed? You just fling the blanket, and it goes. No, 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 no. Not when you sleep like me. 
<laughs> how, how do you sleep that you have to sit this comforter for two minutes? So there's some nights where I go to sleep and wake up in the same position, right? Okay. That is the that is preferred. That's what okay. I would prefer to happen every single night. Like a normal person. Yeah. There are some nights when or like some mornings when I wake up and I am just cocooned in this fucking thing. I have I have turned over multiple times, I have grasped the blanket and no one exists here but me. And so I look at it and I go, Oh, I really I really messed this up. So that method from before of sleeping on top of the comforter is well preferred because then I can't pull the comforter out from where it belongs. Okay, okay. But even even if you are super cocooned and you have everything just interwoven and it's all knotted, worst case, it adds an extra 10 to 20 seconds to the bed baking process. Yeah. You pull it off, you straighten out, you give a little wave, you know, like a little I gotta tuck it underneath. Thing. No, why are you tucking your blanket? Like What's that. The point you of see how I have the comforter tucked in the corner? What's the point of tucking it? That's so it doesn't fancy. come out. That's too fancy. You're that way, when sleep Seth tries to cocoon anyway. it, it doesn't happen. No. You're yeah. Gonna, to, okay, to your point, the point you were making before about not making the bed at all, right? Yeah. Because it's just, you know, you're going to mess it up anyway. Yeah. Why tuck the covers if you're just going to mess it up anyway? You don't have to go all the way fancy. See, but it makes it easier for me what? to mess it up. What? It makes it easier for me to mess it up. It's harder to mess it if up. I... It's tough. It's tough to underneath the mattress. It... No, it's if if I leave it untucked, it's easier to mess up. Your logic is flawed. No, this no, is, no, no. This is flawed. I, this is go, absolutely flawed. If I go to sleep <laughs> with the comforter untucked, it's easier to mess up in my sleep. At least there's a little bit of resistance if I tuck it in the corners. Cue the intro. Cue the intro <laughs> stuff right now. I'm not doing this now, anymore. Now listen, everybody. Welcome to Table Talk Friday. You may you may have noticed this week that there's only two of like only two voices that you're hearing, and that's not because Zach is in the bathroom. That is because uh, Zach got the pandemic um, <laughs> for multiple days. Yeah, for multiple days, uh, he's gonna have to be sitting out for a little bit. And um, spoiler alert: I <coughs> might have a little something going on too. Um, that is undiagnosed. Now, we will not say the words of the Panderic for uh, monetization reasons, which were not monetized, but what if we? What just, if this episode What if this episode is monetized? You never know, what if this is our most popular episode? Oh my gosh, and we started talking <laughs> in six minutes about sheets. Kick out immediately. Oh, like, <laughs> I'll yeah. type up the message now, just in case. Yeah, you know. W- w- you know, honestly, I think that whole Sheets conversation would have been so much better if, um, if Zach was here. Because then he could have taken my side. He would have taken your side. I would have liked it. I would have been all on my own. Um, so uh, we have decided this week we're just going to be a little off the cuff, a little on the fly, and we're going to do another story time episode. Um, both of us have brought a little something to the table. I think my story is going to need a lot of help from Drew anyways, um, while his story is more self-contained, something I wasn't even a part of, so I don't have a lot to say about it. Um, otherwise, whew, I think both of us know these stories pretty good. I think I I've mean, heard the story many times. I could not recount it to you on my own right now, though. No, but as soon as we start talking about it, I feel like we'll both be able to intervene and just add some details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've heard the story you're about to go into. You lived it. I well, I didn't really live it, but I talked to nine different people for like two years about it. So I, I'm I'm pretty uh, pretty savvy, pretty savvy <laughs> at the story. Do you want me to uh, to give it a go on mine? Yeah, I think I think you would be you would be good to start out because you're probably much more fluid in yours than I am. Yeah, that's what they call me, fluid. fluid. All right, no fluid. No, okay. They call me fluid, Drew. Is that what they called you in college? They're like, wow, Drew's so fluid, dude. Like, yeah, that's, you're right. He's the you're guy. Right. He's fluid. <laughs> look, hey, look at all fluid over there walking. That's what they called me. That was that was <laughs> the nickname. <coughs> Sorry for the uh, intermittent coughs, everyone. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty gross. Yeah, I but, know, I know. Yeah, I guess I'll take it away then. My nice, sexy voice, <laughs> not full of disease. So, the story begins in the Eastern realm long ago. Um, just to give a little bit of backstory behind the, the epic dungeon crawl I'm about to dive into. Um, I was running a campaign for four different players for about a year or two. Uh, it was on and off, and it was more so when we had time. Um, so it gets a little iffy. But uh, to give a little backstory behind it, they all started with classic, a mission from the king. You know, the king, of course, he needs people to do his bidding. And uh, the kingdom happened to be at war at the time. People were busy. They'd recently gotten attacked. So they didn't have the manpower and the, uh, the warfare ability to go handle this new threat. And recently, one of the party members, the paladin, had bonded with the king. Um, he was part of a ceremony, and he, and he sort of, the king sort of saved him from a group of bandits. So it gives a little bit of a personality. And we there. all know what happens with kings and paladins behind closed doors. Am I right, Game of Thrones yeah, watchers? Yeah, a little divine <laughs> smash, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so they're they're friendly, they're friendly buddies, and the rest of the party all gathers and decides that they're going to take on the king's orders to stop these these odd plans for some sort of creature that stirs in the south. So they begin traveling, and 30 sessions later, <laughs> they find the cave that leads to none other than the dead king, who supposedly stirs underground for some apparent reason they haven't found out quite yet. They haven't got all the lore. So they enter this deep, dark, dank cave. As they begin to enter, uh, there's... A number of traps begin to light up that all react to their magical abilities and their lights as a number of them don't have dark vision at this time. So as soon as they walk in, a number of these light missiles, magic missiles, firebolt types of cantrips and spells start flying at them and they start taking immediate damage. Uh, they find out after a little bit that it's all magic reactive, so they stop casting all their magic. They kind of close their eyes or because it's just dark anyway, so they start investigating the cave in the dark with no light. And as they're looking around, they find this odd sort of concave door at the end of the cave. And on it, they rolled a pretty reasonable investigation check. I think it was, it was definitely above a 20. And looking at it, there was this very nice, ornate, carved elven man with a sword and a shield and a little bit of an inscription that said something along the lines of, we've won and we've conquered, but it was an elvish. And one member of the party did speak elvish but of course they weren't uh they weren't reading that door so you know they're they're looking around the cave looking at rocks and to see if there's anything embedded in the walls why would you read the, the door honestly. no there's no reason to read the door honestly i mean just you know walk around big sign says read door here and you go "Ooh, what's on the wall though oh, let's walk around <laughs> the dark let's do this so they end up looking at the door and they find those words it actually took them a good bit and the solution to the three door sessions. yeah three three whole <laughs> sessions trying to open this door <laughs> Um, and so they find out that after reading the words out loud and not getting to work and trying to cast different spells into the door, trying to pry the door open multiple times, I might add, probably far more than they should have. The door was not opening. They end up saying the words in Elvish and the door opens for them. So they go through this creepy dark door and on the other side, the ground sort of gives way from this stony, rocky path to like kind of grainy and dirt and sandy. Uh, as they start walking through, their feet begin to sink into it just a tad bit. Not in the sense that it's, you know, quicksand. 
but the ground isn't necessarily very sturdy. It's not very firm. So they start walking through this room, and they start to be very quiet. Because, again, it's very dark, and they start to cast their magic again to look around, assuming that there's no more traps in here, which they were correct, luckily. But they start walking through this strange room, and there's nothing really to look at. It's just these large, almost mountainous rocks, and this room sort of opens up into this, this cavern, cathedral-style height. So it's a bit creepy. And as they're walking around, they begin to hear some kind of rumbling. So they all stop moving. They begin making their stealth checks and looking around. They don't, they don't see anything, but they hear it. They hear this rumbling, and they don't know what it is. So they stop moving altogether. There's listening, making perception check after perception check, investigation. They can't figure out what's going on. And unfortunately, one of them decided they were going to walk into the middle of the room and start digging around in the sand, which, against creatures that have tremor sense, often doesn't work out very well. <laughs> so they start digging and throwing the sand around, and the rumbling turns out to be two large metallic uh, bullets. I'm gonna. Hopefully, I said that correctly. You did. Bullets. Um, bullets. The correct. Correct. Pronunciation. <laughs> so they are these these giant bullets. They're heavily armored, very steel, metallic looking, and they begin dodging and weaving into and out of the sand, basically taking bite grabs at these guys. They're trying to grapple them. Um, they're using their actions to dig as they have a, a massive dig speed. So after a few minutes of them just getting bit and losing actually some NPCs that were with them, they were rather unimportant. They had they had hired them to to follow along, but they you know they had like ten hit points. And <laughs> bullets kind of ate them. Um, so they end up getting through there, and I'm fighting these bullets for a good period of time, getting some serious injuries in there. Um, they actually did manage to take down the bullets. They started holding their actions for when the bullets would come up and then blasting them all at once. So they were able to take all the bullets down, surprisingly, which there was two, which is quite a bit for a party of, I want to say it was around level six or seven. So that was a hefty good fight, and they, they handled pretty well. Yeah. So they, they finished fighting the bullets, and after they finished that the magic door on the other side that they were not able to perceive as they were in the middle of combat opens magically, and they're able to proceed into the next room. In the next room, there was a massive, colossal-sized stone person, if you will. Um, I called it a golem, but at the time, it was really more of a statue as it hadn't moved yet. They walk in, they step up to the golem, it doesn't move, doesn't say anything, they're not sure what to do, so they start looking around the room. As they start making some reasonable investigation checks, they find a couple of these arcane sigils along the wall. They're like these purple, almost like enchanted um, runes. And as the wizard in the group walks up to him and begins to touch one, the golem animates and steps down on one knee, towering over them. They feel the, the reverberations kind of traveling throughout the cavern, the sands kind of falling from the walls and the ceiling as it kind of leans down over them. And says to them telepathically that, oh god, I can't remember the golem's voice, but <laughs> the, um, basically what he says to them telepathically is that he's there guarding the body of this ancient king. And this king has been sealed away for a long period of time because he was a malevolent king and he hurt the people of the lands. Um, but they didn't want to destroy him just in case they ever needed to get at some of his magics or his, uh, some of his intelligence abilities that he had because he had great ability over the land uh, and the people. So they held him there just in case anybody ever needed to magically speak with him, resurrect him, perhaps. But all of these rooms were a trial to allow the players to, to, to see if they were worthy of seeing this evil king. So, he, so as he's leaning down and telling them this, 
they're preparing for a fight. They start pulling out their weapons. They're getting, you know, at the ready. But he explains to them that he's not the enemy and that they will have to fight him. He is the last step of this trial, uh, but he seeks no ill will towards them. He does not wish to kill them, and he wishes them the best of luck in the fight that they're about to have, but he is bound by the arcane arts to challenge them in this fight. So they start fighting this golem, this crazy, <laughs> crazy tall golem that in one big swoop of his action begins just cleaving at multiple players with his giant stone sword. Um, and they're actually doing pretty well for a good bit. The encounter was designed so that the longer they fought him, the harder he got. And the reasoning for that was that they had to get the king's body out of the coffin that he was protecting. So they didn't actually have to defeat him. As a matter of fact, they most likely couldn't. I had it so that there was a certain number of points that they could deal to kill him, but it was unlikely that was going to happen. Right. So they had to use their brains to get through this. So they're fighting now, for a good did bit. You, did you have a damage threshold set on this enemy, or did you just kind of like, okay, you did? Absolutely. <laughs> so I think it was for the, before the first hundred hit points, he was a normal golem type of creature. Right. Uh, where he got, you know, one, maybe two swings per turn. And like I said, he had the ability where he could kind of sweep. If there was a couple people within a short range, mm -hmm. he could hit a couple of them. After they did a hundred points of damage, he began to evolve, if you will. So the first hundred points, he actually sprouted another stone arm from within his, his body. So he kind of ripped part of his torso Yuck. open. It was pretty gross. Um, but he's all stone, so now he's got three arms, and he gets three attacks per turn. Right? Mm. So, and the party, you know, they're, they're, they're getting hurt, you know, especially after the bullets. Yeah, they're not very high level for this. No, 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 no. They're, uh, I will say, though, for the level they were at, they were doing really, especially after the bullet fight. Yeah, like, I'm talking in the first room. It was I, think, I think your guys' characters in Avernus right now could have taken it easy at that level. Probably, right. I would hope. I would hope. Yeah, you guys are just quite like a quite powerful party, which is why you go through very powerful encounters. We have a very powerful fighter that we're able to buff. And nerf. yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and Osman, and, and Osman, and oh, that sharpshooter shots are crazy. Right? No one did have sharpshooter in this party. Yeah, which oh, that's great. Sharpshooter is a really, really good feat. We'll talk about that at some point. We should do a uh, we should do a, an episode where we talk about feats. I think we definitely will. Like our favorite feats or ones that we don't see enough. Because yeah, I really like feats. <sighs> well, no, no, no. That's Broccoli Eric's thing. Oh, of course, of course, of course. <sighs> we just exposed him. Well, that's why I didn't say his actual name, Patrick. Boy, I guess I'm diseased. So, <laughs> they're still fighting this that, that, that was one second. That was a joke. Uh, Patrick is not in defeat. Uh, if you, he'll he'll be on the podcast eventually. We'll use him as a guest. Roll an insight check. Uh, I don't have a die. Um, to ten. I mean, it's hard to read. <laughs> You're not sure. Might be a little twinkle on his eye. So, anyway, they're, they're proceeding through this, this fight. And this is getting heavy. These guys have worked up 30 sessions to this. Basically, this is a single encounter right here. So, they continue to fight him. They continue to get their asses beat at this point. They're getting grappled. They're getting getting thrown around by this thing. They do not pass the the second threshold. Because as they were fighting this thing and getting absolutely mollywopped, they found out, this is not working out. Uh, we need to do something else. And they remembered that first arcane sigil they found when they first entered the room. And they began going off with that. So they commanded the wizard, hey wizard, go start touching these things. Find them, touch them, lick them, whatever you gotta do. Do something with these runes, see if it'll do something. So they start making investigation checks as their actions to go find these runes. Woo. And it's intense because they're getting, they're still getting beat on while they're doing this. They're taking attacks of opportunity, moving around the room. Because there's actually one in each corner of the room at this point. So they're moving past them, taking these attacks of opportunity, getting, getting grappled. They can't move to all the runes. 
But eventually, after a good bit of combat, they do end up finding all of them and activating them, which was um, the ability to was it, to turn them off with a code word that was inscribed within the runes. Mm -hmm. So the wizard was able to make some checks, get all that done, and as the last rune goes down, the golem looks down at all of them and says, congratulations, and begins to topple and fall and collapse into little bits. As they're cheering, they've gotten to the last part. This sarcophagus is now revealed on the other side of the cavern, showing this body they've been hunting for 30 sessions. So they go up to the coffin, knowing what's inside, and there's these arcane chains wrapped around the outside of it, keeping it sealed. And they agreed that, uh, surprisingly, they were going to open it. And they were going to take the coffin, they were going to travel with it, and bring it back to the kingdom, to where it could be destroyed, secured, so that no one would die, basically. I mean, it saves them a lot of trouble. It, it would have. <laughs> it would have. And frankly, I was, I was surprised with the group for, for doing it that. It seems like a great decision it. to me, to like, okay, let's not open it, let's take it back and have someone more qualified open it. Yeah, 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 and that's that's what they did. That's that that's definitely what they did. And the end. That's the end of yep. the story. Yep, that's, that's that's the the whole end. I'm just saying that's that seems like a good idea to me. But you can you can go ahead and explain what you did next. I don't know why you're assuming anything else happened. Well, it's definitely the not the tone of your voice and the look in your eyes. You no, know, no, 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 the, no, the look of pure murder and malice that I'm seeing right now. No, 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 no that, that, could, that could be it. So you know. The, the good story. They, they take the coffin, they begin dragging it out, but after all these encounters, they're like, you know, this is this has been a heck of an adventure. We gotta take a rest. So they take their long rest. And surprisingly, after they beat the entire dungeon, I thought it was okay. They get a long rest. They've cleared it out at this point, so there's no dangers in this dungeon. This was it. This is the extent of it. The cave goes no further. So they take their long rest. And they wake up in the morning to some kind of shouting down the way of the cave. So the monk sneaks ahead, goes to the entrance of the cave, while the rest of them stay back. It was a shadow monk, by the way, so he's teleporting through the cave from, like, corner to corner. Shadow to shadow is really cool. And he gets there, and he finds there's some sort of armored person fighting off a group of bandits over in the entrance. And he watches for a minute, just because they don't believe anybody this way. They don't know what's going on, and they have a very valuable artifact they need to get back. So he watches for a minute, and he finds out this armored person, they don't recognize them, but they are fighting a group of bandits known as the Hellhawks in my in my world, uh, which are fire-based bandits. And they don't like the Hellhawks. They've run into them before. They've fought them. So he decides he's going to rush forward and help this individual. So he rushes forward, and he helps fight off the Hellhawks. Um, and this armored individual is helping him and assisting them working together. And they're able to kill off, I believe there was about five or six of them. And upon the completion of the encounter, the armored individual steps up to the monk and introduces himself as Sobolus which is a known cleric they've heard of in the area because they've been cursed previously and needed them, needed their help. So he says, hey, you know, we've heard about you. We have this thing going on. You know, what's, what's going on? Why are you here? Because it's a little sketchy. The Savalist introduces themselves and says that basically their god told them that they needed to come to this cave. They don't know why, but something instructed and guided them to this location. So he believes him. And he follows him on in, and he leads him to his friends and said, this is the sarcophagus. Can you help us get it out of here? Sabla says, of course, I might as well. I mean, I'm here, so I need to do something, and clearly someone needs help. So my God has led me to something here. So Sabla claims that he can cast a spell that will allow the sarcophagus to be opened, and he could destroy the contents so that the king could not be resurrected. Oh, good. 
So they say, problem oh, solved. Great. That, perfect. They don't have to travel <laughs> with a coffin across the world. Nope. There's no issues here. Mm-hmm. Great. So they stand guard. Ready the end, go. right? That's, that's <laughs> it. That's, that's, that's it. That's all that I'm just waiting for the good the end here. It seems like they've got it figured out. <laughs> so they take up positions. Defensive positions. They have cover. They're dug in. They're stealthy. They're holding their crossbows up with their weapons at the ready, waiting for anything, any sort of hellhawks, creatures, anything to come into this cave at this point. And they hear... The arcane words being muttered and things drawn on the coffin as the chains shatter. The Savalis is able to open it up and begins casting an additional spell to what they believe is destroying this evil king. And at the last possible moment, the ranger in the group looks over. And it does get destroyed. Yes. <laughs> yes it, as it's destroyed, it for some reason begins to stand up <laughs> in its coffin. As the whispers begin to spread throughout the cave, these dark <laughs> soul sounds. And the Sobolus looks over with a wink. You see a green scar begin to appear across the eye as he teleports away. Revealing that he is one of the BBEGs of the campaign oh. at this point. So they're like, oh my gosh, we just got tricked. What's going to happen? And as the whispers begin to travel, they get into the boss fight of the dungeon, which is a very modified version of the Bodak, which yeah. is this fiendish, evil, demon, demonic creature. Uh, basically, the cool thing about them is they gaze at you, and if you don't avert your eyes, you make a save. If you fail it by so much, you just drop to zero hit points. Mm-hmm. So they don't know that. So this fight goes on for probably a good five minutes. Multiple people begin to go down. His legendary actions are going off. He's spawning in these these demonic chains that are wrapping and, and smacking the other party members. Everyone begins to go down. Healing spells are out. We're very limited on spells. People are limited on hit points at this point. And the only two people that are left in this encounter are the the paladin's familiar and the NPC wizard. That's it. Every other party member is down. And it comes down to a single roll where the Bodak's basically just going to start killing these people. But the wizard, the wizard, intelligence-based character, grapples the Bodak. Because he has nothing else to do at this uh... point. <laughs> and as the DM, I don't want the wizard to get the final blow on this guy. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather TPK <laughs> than let the wizard have the final blow on this creature. So, he gets grappled. He gets face down towards the ground where he can't gaze at anybody. And there's nothing else that can be done at this point. But, we check the rules on this familiar, or this creature that the paladin has summoned at this point. And it says in the rule book they would act in self-defense if there's no one to command it. <gasps> so the familiar leaps forward, bites the face of the Bodak, and tears its head off with a Jesus. single roll. It had two hit points left. So <laughs> overall, the most intense dungeon I've ever run. People were, were screaming. There was like tears at the end. It was really intense. And it all came down to two hit points and a familiar killed the, the, the boss. Jeez. I've heard that story in, like, bits and pieces, but never, like, in its entirety. <laughs> it's It was really intense in the moment, and I feel like when I tell the story, the, the emotions don't come across yeah. in everything that went on, but it was it was so much... I was so proud of the development that yeah, went into no, this fight. It was... Oh! I don't think I've ever played... I've never... I've ever run a session that was that intense before. I don't know if... So, I haven't gotten to do, like, a big twist like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess the Emer thing in the Court of the Giants was was a pretty big thing, but that's like a uh, Storm King spoilers here. Um, mm, I think I think that was pretty equivalent. 
the thing was we just didn't know about her. Like we, yeah. we kind of popped up and oh 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 hello. yeah. It's not like it was hinted at enough for you guys to really know. It was like two or three times you had heard the name, like you had heard Doom of the Desert, you had heard um, about her from her her son's lairs. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever she popped up and like talked to you guys for a second and then disappeared. That's true. That's but true. like you you hadn't gotten like a lot of information at that point, and then like everything clicked together at one time, which mm. that was pretty nice. Which I will say, good job on that because it's it's harder to get those true surprise moments where people just have no idea what's going on. Yeah. happens. <laughs> it's difficult, especially with players that don't trust anybody or they just start murdering people on a, on a yeah. whim. You know. Well, there have been many times when one of you guys has been like, "I bet this is going to happen in three or four sessions," and you've been like a hundred percent right after to sit there and like, you know, straight face, but like, <laughs> no, yeah, no, sure no, no, that wouldn't happen. That well, would never happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like there there have been many times throughout this campaign where they're like, or one of you's like. Oh yeah, I bet this is gonna happen sometime soon. And I'm like, that makes no sense. Like, no, why would why that? Would, why would that ever happen? Yeah, I've already planned world. it like well ahead of time. Um, and then but, you know, 50 sessions ahead of time, what's gonna happen? Yeah, and then it does happen, and it's like, oh, I fucking knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good moment too for the players. Yeah. So, given our given our time frame, I have completely 180'd what story I want to tell. Oh. Okay. I thought of a different one, and you're going to love the idea that I came up with while I was sitting here listening to you. Okay, okay. I want to tell the story about the time I sold a dog for 500 gold. No! <laughs> I don't want to hear the story. <laughs> Guys, this is an awful story. Just exit out right now. Hit the back button. Back so, on out. I want to tell the story about the time I so- sold a Mastiff, a normal, very, you know, their animals aren't that expensive in D&D. That one um, was. What? They're normally 50. Right? It's normally 50 for a Mastiff, I believe. Yes. For a, tra- a fully trained Mastiff. And I sold one that was not fully trained for 500 gold to none other than Broccoli Eric Patrick. Um, let me start you with a little bit of a warm-up. Oh, no. I have mentioned before how my players in Storm King's Thunder made their way uh, somewhere within the Desrin Valley area. Uh, in Forgotten Realms, and were able to find Groothog, the home of the Hill Giants. Um, this is where they fought Chief Ga. They um, Eknon was revived for the for the one and only time. I believe that's the only time yeah. someone died. No, some not the only we had two other players died, die. One of the only time people got revived. Yeah, <laughs> one of the only times people someone got revived. Um, Eknon was revivified in the middle of the fight. He got like absolutely focus fired by like a rabid Hill Giant. Yeah. Um, check out Volo's guide for those cool stat blocks. Those are awesome. Don't let a giant hit you three times in a row. Well, yeah, and the funny thing about these, the Mouths of Grolantor, I believe is what they're called. I replaced a lot of the enemies in um, Groothog with different types of enemies. I wanted to make the encounters a little more flavorful and fun. So Chief Ga had two Mouths of Grolantor um, in front of her. I hope I'm saying that right. In front, tied oh, right. up in front of her, and then two hill giants behind them, ready to release them whenever she, um, whenever she wished. They were more there for like sport, for fun, to like poke fun at, and then um, whenever they're needed, they're released in the direction where they where they're meant to fight. She bullied um, them. Yeah, she basically bullied them, and around the top of the scaffolding were tons and tons of goblins. I think about a dozen. I had total um, one group of six, which uh, Beryl, our bard, made friends with. Um, they, he goes up there disguised, reveals himself to be none other than Barrel of Barrel and the Giant's Bane, who nobody knows yet, um, and 
um, and wins over this pa- this group of six goblins who are supposed to be working for Chief Gah, but when he promises them a mansion, they cannot help but be ecstatic about it. Because he does not have a mansion. Just no, to, he, he doesn't. Barrel has nothing. He, Barrel literally <laughs> has nothing. And he's like, and he prom- but he, he did so good with role play, persuasion checks, and like talking to these guys. I mean, there's no way I couldn't let these guys like at least try to help in the encounter, right? No, of course. So we go through the entire encounter. I plan for these goblins to probably die in it or something like that, but I play them as they would. And whenever the encounter actually goes down, they're kicking ass, uh, hitting a lot of arrows, and um, along with Beryl's help, everyone escapes at the end of the of the encounter. They burn down Groothog, everybody flees and heads to the hills um, to get a good night of rest, as they're meant to. You know, a lot of the hill giants and orcs that were there end up fleeing off in separate directions, um, heading back to either their clans or finding a new home, um, now that Chiefka is no longer in charge. So, with that, all the hill giants have scattered. They're no longer a problem in the Sword Coast. These goblins don't really have a home to go back to, so they stay with Beryl. And Beryl takes them in gladly, right under his Kenku wings. Um, he gets all of their names, which was um, Bix, oh, Vok, no. Bomb, Clammy Hands, Mixman, and Shill. And Shill was the best one. And <laughs> Shill was great friends with Eknol, was not friends with anybody else. <laughs> Um, Clammy Hands and Mixman were the obvious favorites because of their names, and um, Bix was awesome as well because he was the sharpshooter. He hit one shot that Barrel told him to hit, and he was the sharpshooter for the rest of time. We never missed a shot. Yeah, he never missed a shot. 100% accuracy rating. You take one shot and you land it. I mean, you're good to go. <laughs> so, um, the six goblins, Barrel is actually training them in combat, which to which I gave them like a little bit of sidekick stats to go with. Some of them got... Um, different abilities and proficiencies and tools and such. Um, so while Barrel's going through and training them, he decides, wow, these goblins are small enough to where they could actually have mounts. So whenever they would go to cities, the goblins were not allowed in. That They were not like socially accepted uh, quite yet in Forgotten Realms. And so I was having it to where a lot of the people in the towns would kind of like look at them weird. The guards would be like, whoa, 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 you can't bring monsters in here. Um... Nowadays, we allow all races to come into the fucking cities in um, Forgotten Realms because I kind of had it be like a growing thing that they that they actually helped with in Storm Kings, which was a lot of fun. Um, and a Barrel and the Giant Spain are a large reason why full orcs and goblins were allowed into cities, which um, because they they brought full orcs and goblins along with them and were like, no, 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 they're with us. And of course, you can't tell heroes no. <laughs> so what you're saying is, as a party, we single-handedly defeated racism. Exactly, it was great. So what a um, party! It, it, <laughs> it, it was a great message throughout Storm Kings. Anyways, um, Barrel decides he wants to get his goblins mounts, and given that they're not typically allowed in cities, he doesn't go with anybody into the city. So he can't really go in and try to procure one from like a breeder or something. Uh, to which I wrote up a specific dog breeder. Um, that they would run into in a city whenever they decided to. Um, that is not at all the path we ended up going down. When heading into a small farming village to resupply so they can go back out and camp, uh, they just needed simple things like rations, some refills on weapons and arrows and such. Um, Morwen and Dalith go into town together. And... On the way in, Beryl stops Dalith, who is um, Patrick's character. He's a blue dragonborn wizard, and with all of his intelligence, he's the dumbest guy in the room. <laughs> um, not Patrick, Dalith. Anyways. Broccoli Eric. Broccoli Eric, sorry. 
So, Beryl hands Dalith 500 gold and says, Hey, if you happen to... Or was it 100? Did he just give him 100? I honestly don't I remember. think he actually gave him 100 and that Patrick continued on, like, later. We'll say 100. I'm pretty sure that's the correct amount. Hands him 100 gold and says, Hey... When you go in town, if you find a breeder or someone who has a dog, can you buy it for me with this money? And of course, Dalen is like, don't worry, Beryl. I have got your back. You will have a dog at the end of today. So <clears throat> Morwen goes to resupply on all the things they need. Um, Dalith gallivants a little bit around town. He he looks uh, at the fields and such and is like, I got to find a dog. Seth, I'm rolling investigation to find a dog. And I was like, okay, no problem. Uh, I have him look around the main market, which is sort of like just a little farmer's market. It's a small village. And um, he doesn't see any particular breeders. This isn't a place where you would really find people breeding mastiffs. Um, I'm feeling stress, Seth. <laughs> I'm feeling the stress of this moment coming back. That You would find them breeding mastiffs like another town or so over. I was going to have them do it when they continue traveling. Um, though in this little village, not going to happen. Um, so, Dela says... What about in the fields? And I'm like, oh, well, I mean, a couple of the farmers out in the fields working definitely have, you know, dogs along with them, like hunting dogs and um, and whatnot. And he goes, all right, I'm going to go to the nearest farmer and talk to them. And I say, okay. And so he walks up to the field and finds uh, this old man <clears throat> farmer. I played him off as very much of an old man. And um, asks him, sir, how much for your dog? That's the first thing he says to this man. It's not anything like, hello, I am an adventurer and I would like to procure something for that I need. It is, how much for your dog? And the farmer says back, oh, well, he's not for sale. He's been in the family for like 13 years. This is an old fart dog, like an old mastiff um, <laughs> on its last legs. Not definitely really, not in his prime. Definitely not in his prime. Runs like half speed. <laughs> and, oh, no. And Dalith says, no, sir, I don't think you're getting me. Ka-ching, ka-ching, pulls out his like little point coin purse, jingles it around. I'm willing to pay, and he goes, "That's that's very nice." But he's been in the family for gen like a whole generation at for this generations, point. For a this whole dog for has a been whole in the generation at this point, this dog's been in the family, and it, it I'll be damned if it doesn't die with the family. And he's like, "How about a hundred gold?" And he's like, "No, like I'm not gonna sell you my dog for a hundred gold." Okay, 200 gold. What the, why are you offering me 200 gold for a dog? Still no. Okay, and then he goes immediately from the 200 mark to 500 gold. And this guy goes, <laughs> that's enough. He, he literally says, that's enough for me to actually like pick up my farm and relocate to Waterdeep so I can make a lot more money off of my farming. Um, and Daleth says, I'll give you 500 gold for your dog. He looks at Daleth. Looks at the coins, looks at the dog, does that a couple times in a row, and he says, deal. (laughs) But let me say goodbye first. So, he says goodbye to the dog, thanks it for everything it's done for him, gets his his leash and everything, and just passes it over to Dalith. And Dalith pays 500 gold for this absolute shit dog he could have bought 10 mastiffs he could have bought 10 mastiffs for the price he spent on this one and meanwhile the whole party is trying to convince him not to eknon comes up to him 
and is like, Daleth, that's not a good idea. Why would you do that? Morwen is like, Daleth, we need to we need to be spending our money on like more important things. You could buy a whole ring of protection with that much money. You could buy a cloak of protection. Maybe even a cloak of elven kind. A plus one sword. Come on, we can spend that money on good things. And everyone's like arguing with him. And me, knowing Patrick as well as I do, was like, no guys, please let my friend Patrick do what he wants. <laughs> and so he does it. He buys the dog for 500 gold. And takes it back to Beryl. Now, he he is prideful in doing this. He's very proud of himself. And when he brings the dog to Beryl, he goes, here you go. Hands him the leash. And Beryl's like, thanks. Um, how, how much did it cost? And Daleth is like, I only paid 500 gold for it. And Beryl's <laughs> like, what? You spent 500 gold on that? And he just starts flipping shit. Um, to which... He works with the Mastiff a little bit, uh, trains the goblins on how to ride a Mastiff, so I gave them proficiency in riding on, like, mounted animals and stuff. For 500 gold, they better shoot lasers, too. And it was a, not a good dog. Uh, they they learned how to do this, taught the taught the goblins how to ride it, and while the dog was obedient, it never got used. Not a single oh. time did they really use the dogs in combat. It was basically like taking 500 gold, throwing it into a dragon's horde, and going, gotcha, boss, and then leaving. <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest with you. While so as stressful as that as that was, and as memorable of an event as that was, I don't remember where that dog went. Um. So, yeah. Let's let's get to the end of the dog stories, okay? The dogs travel along with Beryl and the Giant's Bane for quite some time. They do end up buying, uh, I believe, one or two more dogs from the breeder I had set up in the next town for very over. reasonable prices. Actually, fifty gold a piece. Mm-hmm. Easy peasy. Mm-hmm. Good prime hunting so dogs. They had three three mastiffs total. Uh, spent six hundred gold total on these on all of them. Um, <laughs> so awful. They had three total, one five hundred gold, and then two fifty gold mastiffs. Um, so three of the goblins could ride, and three could shoot from behind. Perfectly reasonable. Um, they continue along on their quest, do all the stuff that we talked about in the first story time in Yartar. Um, the mastiffs are along for the ride the whole time. Beryl is feeding them. The goblins are taking care of them, and eventually. The whole party, um, after doing a long line of quests, make their way back to Nightstone, where the goblins are dropped off for their own safety, as many of them have been close to death at this point. Um, and they are told to guard the gates along with um, everyone or along with everyone else. We heard the story back before where the, um, the party took down the Seven Snakes, a Zentarim group who took over Nightstone. After that mission, the goblins and... The Mastiffs were left behind to protect the city as a makeshift guard. Um, so yeah. Nightstone was protected by monsters from then on, which, along with what we said before, helped a lot in establishing them into society in the future. Um, but, yeah, the the dogs lived happily ever after in Nightstone. Uh, sad to say the goblins did not live forever. Oh, spoiler um, alert, Sam. <laughs> I haven't got there yet. Um, I'll round out the goblin story another time just to leave everyone hanging, but... That's the time one of my players spent 500 gold on a dog. I hate it. I hate <laughs> it so much. I can I can hear the jaws hitting the top of the table as he did that. <laughs> I remember everybody being so mad, dude. Everyone's freaking out. I don't like, think it was don't... his money. I think it was our money. <laughs> no, he spent his, his money. You guys would not have let him yeah it was his i remember not giving him money after that like there was a while where we were divvying up 
loot from adventures and quests they were doing, and we didn't give him any for a while. Just imagine the farmer who went back and told his wife and kids, like, <laughs> hey, I know that, I know it's, uh, I know Lassie means a lot to you, but she's gone. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. She ran away. She went to the hamster wheel in the sky. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that version. Yo, you gotta think about what the farmer had to do after that. It's like, okay, but you can't... How can you turn that down? Someone offers you 500 gold, and you go... Uh, that's like someone walks up to you and says, Hey, I'll give you 100,000 gold for your land right now. And it's like, yeah, okay, give me till tomorrow to get everything out. But will your land hug and snug you back at night when you want some loving? Uh, the dog on it won't. <laughs> oh... <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Table Talk Friday. We know, we know, you love Zach. Uh, It is disappointing that he's not here. But he will be back soon. We're going to try to do one next week because he'll still be um, in in his apartment. He probably won't be able to come over. I didn't want to say the Q word. Um, (laughs) He'll be locked up. So (laughs) he'll still probably be locked up next week. um, But we're going to try to go ahead and have him, like... um, call in through discord so we can all record some stuff together and uh mostly it's just us figuring out the technical stuff around it but please write in at tabletalkfriday at gmail.com let us know all of your crazy table uh tabletop gaming stories if, whether it's in DD, in shadow run in monster of the week whatever cool games you got going on so hit us up there ask us questions and we will see you guys in the next one character whoever you are take us out Hello, it's Agnon Greylock here. Thank you for listening to Table Talk Friday. For more adventures, check us out at your favorite podcast service. If you have any questions about our travels, please write us a magic letter at tabletalkfriday at gmail.com. Otherwise, stop by next Friday for our next episode. Enjoy.